podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi. Welcome to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast, and to our Forest Ramble discussion for January 2024. We're recording this on Sunday the 14th, and I am your host, Rich Ferraro. In today's podcast, we're going to cover a review of 2023 at the City Ground. The good, the bad and the ugly. FFP and a possible points deduction. And then also goalkeeping conundrums and the transfer window. As usual, we'll hear the opinions of you, the listeners. We'll have a new monthly quiz and Jeremy Davis will be along with his latest sketch to start the new year. All this and more coming up in this episode of 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. Now, let's say hello to today's panel and we will hear from the fans later. But in a sentence, Maradona in the Midlands, what was your forest related highlight from 2023? Hmm, it's a tricky one. Um, there's a few options, but I'll go for, as I'm going first, go for the obvious one, uh, the Arsenal victory at home. Um, lovely sunny day, uh, Forest won, Arsenal lost, we're staying up, and it was, uh, yeah, it was beautiful. Lovely stuff. Uh, Tom Newton, hello. Morning. So my favourite part of 2023 was, I was going to say the Arsenal game, because obviously that um, retained our Premier League <laughs> status for another, <laughs> for another uh, season, but um, I'm going to go for the Man U game. Uh, which uh, come at the very latter end of uh, 2023. I waited an absolute lifetime for that. Going to school in the 90s, all the kids saying, I'm a Man U fan. Don't, you just knew the, that they didn't go to games and everything and they were saying, oh, Forest are crap and everything. And all, all of this over the years, I've wasted a lifetime for that. I'm 30, well, coming up to 36 now, and I waited a long time for that. So, so I'm almost literally game. a lifetime. Yes. So, the, yeah, the Man U game for me. And and both of these are options in the poll, and we'll hear from the uh, Twitter polls a little bit later on. But firstly, let's go over to Baz. I have to be boring the same as Maradona and go for Arsenal because um, obviously it's the day that kept us up. The atmosphere was absolutely outstanding, and I was sat in the Trent end rather than um, where I normally sit. So I got a whole different perspective on the game, which um, was it just made it that little bit extra special but it was just it's about the atmosphere for for me and it was it was so good to to get that 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 final thing to push us over the line and to enjoy it in front of arsenal like that i mean uh, yeah and of course uh, the arsenal match is is an obvious place to look i mean i would choose a moment from that which was that iconic celebration by stevie cooper and i know that some people had already left the ground by that point but um it was i i, I don't know we just happened to sort of see him going around and saw him do that and then of course there's an iconic photo taken by richie sumter who's the club photographer of him doing that celebration um if i was to choose a specific moment actually i'm going for something that was utterly inconsequential but um in this Southampton home match, there was a goal which Felipe broke through, broke the lines, gathered the ball with one touch, volleyed home with the next, did a Capoeira-style somersault to celebrate. And then, of course, it's it ruled off for offside. But the other day, someone pointed out it was 14 years since Radi Majewski's famous goal against West Brom. And I put on Twitter that that was... In, you know, we've seen many, many great goals and many, many bad moments over the years, but that Radi Majewski goal was orgasmic. If Felipe's goal had had counted, I think it would have been up there with, with a, a thoroughly mind-blowing and something else-blowing moment. So that's the one that I that I would put in my nearly but not quite uh, list of things from the year. And if we think about the past year, uh, just a, a, a quick synopsis, I guess. So the year started okay. Um, Forest had, um, obviously, they were in the lower reaches of the table, as we all know. The good home form continued, and we got that rare away win at Southampton uh, after the World Cup break. Form dropped off alarmingly, and it meant that Steve Cooper's job was under threat in the spring. But then they found some decent results, leading to that vital home win against Arsenal. 
This season, what started promisingly seemed to disintegrate. There was an awful run of results, which obviously cost Steve Cooper his job. And in a move that many fans were unsure about, Nuno started as the new head coach. Uh, he had a controversial defeat to Bournemouth, and then there were two statement victories against Newcastle and the one that Tom mentioned against Man United. And then most recently, back down to earth with a draw against League One Blackpool. Now, Tom, I'm just going to come back to you again. Um, you go to every home match and you go to most away matches as well. Um, let's just have keep along that same theme. What are some of those highs and lows that you can think about? I mean, you've seen some good moments. You've seen some bad ones, haven't you? Yeah. Um... The Southampton one was special because we waited a long time for that first away win and only away win um, of last season. So that was a um, highlight. Then obviously what we've touched on with the Arsenal uh, game where we stayed up, um, there was a really distinct fear from probably like the March time go over the um, Easter period that we could, we was always there or thereabouts in terms of where the drop zone was. And the results against um, Leeds, etc. Um, then obviously that Liverpool game, even though we lost, it was telling that we can actually go to these games and actually uh, compete because um, a lot of times last season, um, I think it was like the effort was there, but I think it was sometimes a bit of a um, quality told on the day. It's uh, a lot of away games last season in terms of we just put the red carpet out for a lot of teams. And then that Liverpool game, we actually competed and um, we finished the season um, quite well. But that Leeds game, I thought Cooper's there was a couple of times over the season where I thought Cooper's um, really in danger of losing his job here. And um, come the Arsenal game, it was a job um, well done because first and foremost, our job was to stay in the Premier League, which we did. Then coming into this um, season, um, we knew that we was going to uh, try and change it a bit, trying to get away from this um, low block, etc., and be a bit more on the front foot and a bit more possession-based. And it was really promising that we... Um, we worried Arsenal at one point on the opening day of the season uh, when um, Awani scored uh, from that breakaway from Alanga. Then we got the win against Chelsea, which uh, was a pretty decent result. But yeah, I just think we went back in our shell a bit once um, and we're just fragile, wasn't we? Around uh, about the October, November time and we lost a lot of games and and our formidable home form from last season was... Um, was starting to look a bit fragile as well. So uh, hence why Steve Cooper uh, lost his job. Some may say he was unfortunate, but at the end of the day, it's a results-based business. And when it was, what was it, one win in 14 or something like that, when um, we actually changed the manager, um, I think it was to sustain our Premier League status. And Nudo's come in, fresh eyes on the job. And apart from that Bournemouth game where I mentioned on the last part, if he did his job correctly, we would have... Um, we would have got something out of that game and we didn't. Then we got the two games over Christmas, uh, Newcastle and Man U and played really well, got six points out of that. Um, so, um, so yeah, um, I feel a lot more, um, I think we'll go, I think we will stay up this season uh, based on um, the current um, form we're in. And um, I think, uh, yeah, Nuno will, start to put his ideas down and a lot. I think our fans have already embraced it because of those two wins against uh, Newcastle and Man United. And uh, I think we'll just go from there and hopefully he can trim his squad now and then get some of his uh, own players in and then take it from there, really. OK, um, your, your connection is just breaking up a little bit, Tom, so I shall come back to you in a little while uh, on the sub subject of Nuno. Um, married on the Midlands, um <sighs> I mean, obviously, we talked about the highs earlier. There are a few lows as well, weren't there? And um, it's difficult to kind of sometimes get away from the whole head coach versus club hierarchy versus fans versus players. You know, there's so many moving parts in a modern football club. Um, are there any particular moments that stick in your mind as being, oh, God, this this looks a bit bleak? Um, yeah, so last spring, I, I was pretty certain we were, we were going down uh, before we sort of started to turn it around again. Um, and Taiwo sort of came back before before that Liverpool game. Um, that, that, as Tom said, that gave us a bit of hope. Um, I think that that Leeds away game, especially especially after we'd taken the lead and Leeds had been such a such bad form before that, um, I, I, like everybody else, thought, yeah, that's probably going to be the end for Steve. And um, 
Um, I couldn't see us staying up really. And it's quite possible that Coops thought that was going to be the end as well, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And um, just, I don't know, but, but good luck for him that no, they couldn't get anybody in, in to replace him at the time. Uh, but yeah, so that's. Which is exactly what the owner said, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, considering there was like quite long periods during the year where we didn't win a game, sort of towards the end of the year and and during that early part of the year. And obviously this summer break where we didn't play any games for some reason between like July and August. So I don't know what's going on there. June as well. I remember us playing a game. Too many but, games uh, generally. Yeah. And, and then they have that big gap. Yeah, yeah. So considering that there was a huge part of the year where we didn't actually win a game, it was still quite an enjoyable year, I felt. I never, never really felt <laughs> that down about it. And, and Married on the Midlands, just uh, quickly, uh, I always said that when we went up, it's quite possible we'll come back down, but I'm determined to enjoy the ride. And um, I think that's one of the things that's distinguished last season from this season, because last season it was just a case of we had very little expectation. Um, and then this season is like, well, we should have moved on. And yet we still had that run of one win in 13 or 14. So did you feel the same? Yeah, well, as as the great Michael Stipe once said, expectations are the shackles of me. And I'm afraid that's probably what's done us this season a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm, I still had quite low expectations as I, as I generally do in life. But um, so I, I was not so disappointed with this season. But yeah, um, a lot of people had raised their expectations, um, and that's that adds up the ramps up the pressure on the team. Um, the news that uh, the relationship had broken down between Steve Cooper and, and the ownership that would have been probably pretty well known within the club the players would have known about it um and that sort of meant that every time they lost there was an expectation he was going to get sacked and that's a very difficult way to perform even the most talented of person can uh wilt under that sort of toxic work relationship so even though he brought in sort of more talented players and not necessarily the conducive environment for them to uh thrive in um mm. so yeah it's, it's the expectations and but i mean to be honest with we, you even now, we're more or less where I thought we'd be, 11 to 15. It was only really two or three games that sort of cost Steve Cooper his job, I think. It was the uh, Luton game, sort of a few minutes away from getting mm-hmm. three points there, the Burnley game, and maybe one out of Brentford or Everton. Get something yeah. out of those three games, he's probably still in a job now. And and in fairness to Cooper, he did make the point all the way through that although the results were bad, we were never in... You know, we're only ever one win away from everything looking okay again, or two wins maybe, and and of course uh, the two wins against Newcastle and Man United, while maybe a little bit unexpected, have kind of proven the point. Um, Baz, just to come to you, obviously we had a bit of a discussion when Cooper did get the boot. Um, now there's there's two schools of thought here. One is that um, sacking Cooper was a bad choice because he's got a lot more to give. And then a few others saying, well, he's probably taken us about as far as he could. I'm just going to give you the hypothesis. I think that Cooper had more to give, but the environment at the club isn't necessarily the one that would enable him to do so. And also, just to throw in there, Forrest probably couldn't wait while he continued to learn on the job. What do you think, Baz? I think, um, actually, so we mentioned it before, was... After the Arsenal game, and you were mentioning about the the iconic photo and all that, I can distinctly remember at the time noticing a sort of very, very awkward hug between Mr. Maranakis and Mr. Cooper. And you could tell then that the relationship was off between them. If you if you watch like the, the post-season video, it's very, very clear they didn't like each other in any way whatsoever. And given that was the relationship, I think, yeah, it didn't matter how well we'd done, um, how well Cooper had done. Uh, uh, the relationship was obviously broken from a long time back. Um, so I don't think that could have, even if Cooper had more to give, and I do think he's got a long way to go um, in terms of taking clubs up and, and looking after them. I think the relationship was so broken that, it wouldn't have worked at Forest, and I do think as well that maybe, um, I mean, he'd been there for two and a bit years. So as a club that normally changes manager every twenty four seconds, he had a pretty good run. Mm. And uh, just 
Uh, obviously the, the speculation has always been there about you know when Roy Hodgson moves on whether that be at the end of the season or beforehand that Cooper would be a good fit there um I think that might well be the case um because of the way in which the club is run the fact that the manager gets a fair deal of autonomy but there's also the director of football in Dougie Friedman who kind of earmarks signings and works with the gaffer what do you think Baz? I think he'd do very 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 well there um I think Part of the thing, though, is, and th- this is the the bit where we have to turn into speculation. Is I don't know why it didn't quite work so well this season, because we've we've spent a lot of time this season talking about this van- uh, much wanted sort of new style of football, and all I can say about it is it just didn't work. We in the champion. I've said this many times this season. Uh, in the championship, we played high pressing with very very fast transitions. Last season, we played a low block with very, very fast transitions. And then the start of this season, we just didn't have any transitions at all. And what Nuno's done is he's given us fast transitions again. And why didn't that whatever new style work? Why didn't we get the transitions? Was it because Cooper had lost the players and they didn't believe in him? Or is it because the environment was so bad or whatever it was? Something hadn't worked with that trying to change the style of the play or implementing the style of play and starting somewhere else like Crystal Palace, having a a fresh slate and no history. I think we've seen what Cooper can do in in a very short amount of time, uh, a club that needs a lift. And um, I'm pretty sure he'll do that. Tom, we're speculating, but where did this whole idea of needing a change in the style of play come from? Because I would agree with Baz in that wherever it came from, it didn't work and it actually set us back this this idea. And of course, we got to the point where we lost against Fulham. Cooper went back to basics. He went back to his back three um, with fast transitions to try and, you know, and also crucially trusted personnel. So, yeah, why did we need to change and and why didn't it work? I think it was the expectation. we, And I think it came from, like, the ownership because he had aspirations to be higher up the league. And but I think basically um, a lot of the media and pundits, et cetera, was saying, if you're only going to get like 20% possession or sometimes a bit lower, you're not going to win many football matches. And I think that, so the expectation was we need to be further up the league. Hence why we need to keep the ball a lot better and have this different style rather than just like inviting pressure on then obviously the fast uh, transitions, um, et cetera. So I think it comes from that the club wanted to be higher up the league. They didn't want to be because they probably thought, oh, we've spent all this money. We don't want to be looking over our shoulders. So we have aspirations of being uh, prob- probably stupidly top 10, which when you know you got to like, you got to do it bit by bit uh, like Brighton did because they had a, like a few, what, 16th um, place finishes. Um, and then obviously the build it up bit by bit. And I think it's like they wanted uh, to be higher up the league. If you do that, if you want to be higher up the league, you've got to have more, like better possession, um, et cetera. And I think it comes from that really. And and sometimes I think we put, I've mentioned it on a previous pod before, we put all our eggs into one basket of plan A. And when a one is in the side, we look a very, very good side. But plan B and plan C, it it was not not good enough. And I think if you look at the games at the back end of Steve Cooper's tenure, which they tried, but I think it was a lot of rinse and recycle. Um, if you watched like the Everton game, we didn't create a lot. Um, the Brentford game, albeit um, we had a man sent off with Mirkati, um getting the red card. I didn't think we created much in that. And there was other games around that period as well where we didn't create a lot. Um, and I think, yeah, I think all the plan was on a one in, et cetera. And I just didn't think we never adapted. And hence why Steve Cooper um, ran out of time in the end. Baz, you wanted to come back in there? Uh, yeah, I, just, I think it's interesting that we've got Nuno as our manager now because, I've, I mean, to be honest, I didn't really pay him that much attention once Wolves got promoted because we were still down there and I didn't really pay attention to the Premier League. But having looked back on his record at Wolves, it seems that the way they used to play was playing a very low block with low amounts of possession and then very, very fast on the transition. So if the ownership and fans and everyone else has this expectation that we're going to have this new way of playing, Wolves ended up seventh twice 
by playing that same style of football that apparently disgusted people when Cooper did it. So it's it's kind of an interesting position to be in on that front. What it comes down to is uh, we want the results, and if the low block is the way to get it, then I think we'll, the, the fans will be happy with that. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned disgusted people because um, I, I obviously I am but one fan. I actually quite like playing counter-attacking football. Is what I was brought up watching as a Forest fan in the 80s and 90s, uh, where you keep it solid at the back. You have those fast transitions. Back then, it was the days of 4-4-2. So it was down to the Gary Crosbys and Ian Wones of the world. Um, and then, of course, Stan Collymore, where that was the ultimate uh, version of low block counter-attacking football because we had 4-5-1, give the ball to Stan on the halfway line and see what he can do with it. And more often than not, he did something. So. Although I am a football purist in in many ways, like I don't want to see Forrest playing long ball and everything. I actually don't mind that low block counter attacking style. But anyway, that's just me talking, Tom. I don't think we have actually seen the low block in the the games what we've had um, in the very early days of Nuno. Um, I thought against uh, Bournemouth when we went a man down, he was very much. Um, let's go on the attack here because he took Mangala off, if you remember, and brought Hudson Adoy on. So I've got nothing to lose here. And we, it was uh, on the front foot then. Um, Newcastle, I, I thought that was probably our best performance, especially away from home since we've come up. And then against um, Man U, we kept Man U at an arm's length. And I, I thought we kept the ball pretty well um, in long spells of that game. And it was only because we it was a goalkeeping cock-up that we actually gave them something in the game, i.e. Uh, Rashford's goal. So, um, yeah, I know it's early days, but um, but I, I think uh, how Nuno's playing and everything, he's, the shackles have come off, basically. he's He's got Morgan Gibbs-White in a more central role and everything's going through him in an attacking sense. But then, obviously, he's got Alanga in and around him. Um, so, so uh, yeah, from the early days of um, the Nuno revolution, if you want to call it that, is that... It looks very appealing on the eye. I, I, I mean, I've um, I've gone to um, the recent home games, and yeah, I, I think um, the style of play is very easy on the eye, rather than like just putting eleven men behind the ball and waiting, waiting for that room to drop to counter attack teams. I think with yeah, I, I do like how he's playing at the moment. Okay, thank you, um, Married on the Midlands. Just to come to you um, on the subject of Nuno. Some fans seem to be disappointed when he was selected and saying, well, it's not an upgrade. And I think um, there were some fanciful suggestions. So obviously the one that, that attracted a lot of attention was Oliver Glasner, especially as he was uh, as he was interested in the job. But then before that, we'd had some fans say, oh, why don't we go and get a Graham Potter? And that would never have worked, would it, Graham Potter? But anyway, at Wolves... Nuno got some good players performing well. He had some high-value players, and he also had some more limited players who hit heights, you know, the, the Matt Doherty's and the Connor Cody's of this world, hitting heights that they'd never hit before. So, Murdoch on the Midlands, is that not exactly the kind of manager that Forrest need in the Premier League? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people, myself included, would probably um, have their view of Nuno tainted by the sort of the end period at Wolves, um, the, the ill-fated period at Tottenham and then him going off to Saudi Arabia because that often sort of signals uh, somebody's careers come to an end effectively and it's, it's a, a highly paid lucrative uh, pre-retirement job uh, but he's, he's still only young he's, he's only I think he's only going to be 48 49 uh, 49 this month um, so he's still got a lot to offer and yeah if he if he can sort of recreate that sort of um, uh, magic he had at Wolves he, he's He's got all the ingredients here to do a good job. Um, the other, the other sort of thing that people held against him, myself included, again, was maybe the, the reputation he had for, for his personality of being quite dour and uh, um, offhandish. But he's he's seems to embrace the role as being a forest manager remarkably well. He's sort of taken on that mantle of being a leader, um, and he seems very enthusiastic in his um, post-match interviews. And we're seeing a bit more personality from him, I think, than we maybe we saw Rat Wall. So um, I've been heartened by what I've seen seen of him in these first few matches. And, and do you think, with regards to that kind of element of personality, that's again a bit where he hadn't worked in England before Wolves, and he kind of he's had to learn on the job a little bit. 
Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm just maybe with age and experiences, me feels a bit more comfortable. Um, and I guess he maybe thinks he's got something a little bit more to prove after the Tottenham Tottenham manager manager stint. Um, mm-hmm. That sort of that can drive people on. That sort of not, not revenge, but just pr- wants to prove people wrong that he's he's not finished and he's still a young man and. And um, yeah, and I think he, he seems he seems very close with his um, backroom staff as well. He seems to bring all of them in as well. So I think it's, it's a bit of a team effort from all of them there. So there's about three or four of them. They all, all like to hug when Boris score, uh, which I'll be a bit sorry for Stephen Reid. He gets left out of that sometimes. Well, most times. And uh, I've not I've not seen Andy Reid. Have you seen Andy Reid around recently? I've not seen him either. He's he is in talk. He's in talks to. Um, so. When Steve Cooper left, he was having talks whether what his next role is, and I think um, the last I read is he's going back into the academy. Oh, okay, yeah. So because I, I hope he gets a hug off 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 camera as well sometimes. So I, I feel a bit sorry for the Reed, the Reed brothers not getting their hugs. Well, and coming from the least tactile man I've ever known, I think that's that's that speaks volumes. Um, thinking about. Backroom stuff. I mean, yeah. So we've not had official updates, but but Nuno's clearly brought in some of his own coaching team uh, to come in and join. Um, I mean, Tom, you've talked about you know things that went wrong uh, for Steve Cooper, and of course, as Baz had pointed out uh, in the past. Cooper had to learn on the job. He'd never been in the Premier League before. And, and he said himself, one of his reflections at the end of last season was that he knew that in his coaching career before, he'd always won more matches than he lost. And you coming into the Premier League, he'd be losing more matches than he would win. Nuno's kind of been through those earlier stages of his career. So experience can count for a lot, can it not, Tom? It can. And also, he he would have learnt a lot, even though um, it didn't go well for him, he would have learnt a lot at Spurs. And when he was at Wolves, um, he basically was learning on the job. But by the end of it... Um, he left uh, Wolves in a better place than he um, than he found Wolves when they were in the Championship, etc. So, um, so yeah, experience. I, d- I do think it is an, an upgrade because of obviously just for the Premier League experience um, alone, kind of thing. Um, so, uh, I don't like you mentioned. I don't think he was going to get a pot of event. Of you've got to be realistic of what manager because you can have managers come in. You're thinking, oh, it's an absolute upgrade. But if you look at Lopetegui. He probably was too good for Wolves, and that ultimately broke down because obviously he didn't get what he wanted. So, uh, with Nuno uh, coming in and know what he's actually going in uh, to, I, I do think it's a decent fit. And obviously, the start what he's made has been um, really good, and hopefully that will uh, continue. But yeah, uh, going back to um, the original uh, point is that experience is a massive factor. In- in the in the Premier League, it's a, as we all know, it's a ruthless and brutal league. If and any mistake, you do get um, punished for it. Okay, yeah, and um, just to remind listeners that uh, when Nuno was appointed, we did have uh, an interview in our Friday Five podcast. So we spoke to Matt Langham, who is a Wolves supporter and football writer and editor, and he was talking about the reasons that Nuno worked at Wolves. And he was also talking about that that element of introversion that the marriage on the Midlands has referred to and about how Connor Cody was so important because he was not only his lieutenant on the pitch, but he was also uh, a really important force off the pitch in terms of the community type of stuff. So, so Matt was speculating that the likes of Ryan Yates may well have have kind of new roles to play in that respect. We also heard from uh, a couple of guys, a couple of Spurs fans from the Cheese Room podcast, and they were saying, actually, the biggest problem that Nuno had at Tottenham was that he was never supposed to get the job in the first place. So you can make of that what you will. Um, Obviously, we hope that he has, now that he's here, we hope that he has a long and successful uh, career as the Forest Gaffer. Um, Just before we go to a break, Baz, I just want to come to you. Um, Would you agree with me that anyone who was saying Graham Potter should come to Forest there's so many reasons why that wouldn't have worked, aren't there? I would have absolutely loved Graham Potter to come to Forest. That but, wasn't the question. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, given the ownership, the situation, the absolutely everything else that's going on at the club, there's absolutely no way it would have worked because Graham Potter is one of those managers who builds the entire club in his in his own image over the course of three or four years and it's a very, very slow burn. 
and that's absolutely not what the ownership wants. Agreed. Okay, we'll be back in a few minutes with a couple more discussions, uh, talking about goalkeepers, transfer windows, FFP, and we'll also hear from you, the listeners, and we'll have a new Forest quiz. Twenty twenty four is upon us, which means a packed schedule of FA Cup, Afcon, and of course Premier League action. Beat the January Blues and watch every game with the atmosphere it deserves down at your local Green King Sports Pub. Don't settle for a dodgy stream. If it's on the telly, it's on at your local Green King venue across a huge HD screens. Huge. If you download the Green King Sports app, you'll also receive 10% off every single drink whenever there's a game on, and you'll also be supporting us here at 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. If you're doing dry January, then Green King venues also offer a range of low and no alcohol options, so you don't have to settle for a worse sports watching experience. You're listening to 1865, Nottingham Forest podcast. The 1865 Sketch by Jeremy Davis The movie Sliding Doors was released in May 1998 to a mediocre reception and average box office performance. It was one of the films in that brief period that launched Gwyneth Paltrow to megastardom. So we have it to thank for products such as the vagina-scented candle and others from her curiously named company, Goop. The film itself is rarely seen these days in comparison with other Brit films of the period, such as the likes of Four Weddings and a Funeral, or Notting Hill, or Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, which are regularly repeated on obscure TV channels for the benefit of the ten people who are still watching. But, you may ask, what has Gwyneth Paltrow got to do with football? And you might, like Luton away at Birdley, have a point. Although you might say the same about another movie star whose career was launched that summer, the former Blades midfielder, Vinnie Jones. The film's most significant cultural impact, however, is undoubtedly the term sliding doors moment, used to describe a random chance occurrence which alters the trajectory of future events, like the impact on the weather in New York if that butterfly in China decides not to flap its wings. Football is full of sliding doors moments, the chaotic, unpredictable nature of the game being ideally suited to producing the kind of random incidents that end up having a profound impact on the result. And Forrest have experienced a fair few recently, from Harry Toffolo's second-half header against Wolves, which might have saved Steve Cooper's job had it not gone over the bar, to Didier Dallow's shot from the edge of the penalty area for Manchester United, which, had it gone in rather than hitting the post, might have significantly reduced the height and buoyancy of our Nuno manager bounce. Rarely can the linguistic impact of a work of art been less proportionate to its performance. Sliding doors moment is a term at least as common as catch-22 situation, which must have Joseph Heller turning in his grave, having written one of the greatest novels of the 20th century to produce his most significant cultural impact, only to be matched by a film that achieved roughly two-thirds the gross box office takings of the Rugrats movie. It must be a little bit like how all those journalists who diligently and fearlessly reported on the post office scandal for years must feel now that the government has decided to take drastic action to redress the miscarriages of justice because voters watched a TV programme. I'm only halfway through the series myself, although it has got me wondering if football clubs have been using the Horizon software to calculate transfer fees which might explain us paying £20 million for Emmanuel Dennis, who, like many forest strikers of the past 20 years, could feature in a movie montage of chances that might have made a big impact on the club's fortunes in the 21st century, although this one might have to be called Sliding Barn Doors. Thank you, Jeremy, and... Welcome back to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast with me, Rich Ferraro, and we're joined by the Maradon, the Midlands, Tom, and indeed, Baz. Still to come, we'll have more discussion about matters on and off the pitch. I don't know what discussion is, we'll have discussion about it. And we will also have a game of our new quiz, which is sort of Guess That Red, but it's Guess That Red with a twist. Now, let's have a think about what you the fans have to say and we ran some polls on twitter so let's have a look and i have to be honest i've not actually had a look at these uh, results as yet so the first question that we had was 
what was your forest highlight of 2023? And... The majority of people have gone, and perhaps unsurprisingly, for the Arsenal win. We had 60% of votes for that. We had 20% going for Tom's option of beating Man United, and 18% of people going for Wacker Wacker. Um, Tom, just to come to you, uh, one of the things that I would like to ask you about was was the Wacker Wacker song, as you obviously were at Palace for that day. Yeah, it was brilliant to me. Even before the game, uh, during the game, and then going through the, um, all the tube stations in uh, in London on our way to South London, then back into the uh, uh, Central London. Um, yeah, it was a, a brilliant experience, and you've got all the like the tourists and Londoners and and day trippers, etc., looking like who's this mob coming through, and they were there with all the camera phones and everything. It was you know, like a unique um feeling to be honest because um when you go to like away games it's i've noticed going to away games in the premier league it's it's a lot more welcoming than the championship in the championship it's very territorial you go to like the uh, like the yorkshire uh, clubs or teams in lancashire etc or um even teams in birmingham and it's very much like the, the police are there it's very much territorial like let's get these um fans to the ground and out the ground and get them out of our city asap but in the um in the premier league it's a lot welcoming um are you including uh, wolves wolves in that because i wouldn't (laughs) yeah well it's wolves is wolves isn't it but but now going to um yeah going to the um a lot of the away games last season and obviously this season it's a lot welcoming and like i've mentioned it um on on a uh, facebook page that Newcastle fans were the most welcoming to, you know, when you go into the Premier League and you're thinking, oh, what's the experience going to be like? And yeah, that day on the first uh, game of last season up at Newcastle, they were most welcoming uh, fans I've ever come across. All the bars were open. There was none of the signs outside saying home supporters only. And then after the game, oh, oh, I know we lost the game and, and everything, but they were like, "Oh, good luck for the rest of the season. It's nice to have you back and everything." So, uh, so yeah, there was a lot of um, even though we was getting panned a lot of the times last season away from home, and the experience and um, um, the welcoming nature from other um, football supporters, it was a nice feeling, to be honest. I think that's a far cry from when Baz and I went to Burnley away back in two thousand and one. Um, uh, the next uh, poll question was who's been your forest player of the season so far and i gave the options of marillo morgan gibbs white and mangala now morgan gibbs white took 47 percent of the vote with uh marillo getting 27 and mangala getting 23 percent baz i am going to come to you because i know that you love a defensive midfielder and i know that you absolutely love marillo don't you it's those three players um, um have been outstanding this season. But I think that Morgan Gibbs-White is the correct winner because if if Nuno's done anything, he's built the side around Gibbs-White. Putting him back in the centre is probably the thing that's made the biggest difference. And and playing him out on the right where he looked a little bit lost. Um, I, I do think he had fitness issues at the start of the season, but putting building the side around Gibbs-White that was always Cooper's plan last season. Um, for some reason, he deviated from that this season, and it seems to be uh, Nuno's plan this season. I do think um, Murillo is absolutely fantastic. I, I just love him. That that thing uh, at Crystal Palace, the goal that wasn't, and it was like, bloody hell, we've got something special here. And I have to say that this season, Mangala has been outstanding. I, as you say, I love a defensive midfielder. He's been doing, and what I love most about a defensive midfield is it's one of those roles where if you actually notice the player, then they've not had a good game. And Mangala's just been quietly efficient. I think the fact that he's got a better midfield partnership around him has given him a ton of confidence, and he's now up to speed with the Premier League. So, um, I think he's he's done really, really well. And if it is true that he's leaving, I'll be very sorry to see him go. Yeah, um, we'll come on to that in just a minute or two, actually. Uh, the next question was your Forest player of 2023 overall. And Morgan Gibbs-White has taken over two thirds of the vote there with uh, 67%. Uh, Awani got 20 and Murillo got 9.4%. Um, and a few of people said other, but they didn't specify who. Um, Maradona of the Midlands. 
Uh, I think maybe Tywo's a little bit hard done by there, isn't he? Yeah, I, I probably would have gone for Tywo because if, if you look at who's responsible for winning his most points, I think you'd probably find it is Tywo. Um, so in, in by that measure, he probably is a player of 2023. Bit of recency bias there from the uh, fans voting in the poll? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's that's always a, that's always a danger. Yeah. Um, the next question was, which position would you like to see Forrest prioritise in the transfer window? Unsurprisingly, uh, the majority of people, 54% went for goalkeeper. We had 40% going for attack and then just a handful of people saying defence and midfield. Um, we'll come on to that in just a minute. And then last but not least, um, what position do you think Forrest will finish in the Premier League this season? 1.3% uh, think we'd finish first to eighth. Um, that might be Ellie from our podcast. She does tend to get a bit excitable. Um, we have 5% going for relegation and we have 13% going for ninth to 13th, which means that 80% are going for 14th to 17th. Now, Maradona Midlands, again, you've been quite vocal when you've been on the podcast saying that actually 14th to 17th is a perfectly respectable place to finish in the Premier League in your first couple of seasons. And now this is by far the greatest share of the vote that that has received in terms of, you know, other Forest fans mm -hmm. voting on where they think we'll be. So, I mean, it's, is that, is that a measure of the realism kicking in for a lot of Reds fans? I think so. Um, I, I honestly don't think any fans would have had really high expectations unless the uh, the owner hadn't said we're we're looking to push on and and become a force in English football and those sort of comments that that's a I think put unrealistic uh, pressure and, and expectations on everybody. Um, I think most people would have been fine. So if if you'd said to us two years ago that um, before we got promoted that for the first three seasons seasons in the Premier League you'll finish seventeenth. Everybody would have taken that without any shadow of a doubt. Not, not, not wouldn't even thought about it for a second. Yep, we'll take that. So, um, yeah, I, I think yeah, that's still that's still true. It, it helps you build the club, the finances for the two or three years. You just, just got to stay there and slowly build the club. We're catching up with teams who have been investing in their squad, their infrastructure for the past thirty years, and we've suffered from a, a chronic level of. Uh, underinvestment in, in all areas for the past 30 years. We, we, we're catching up 30 years worth of growth. I mean, we when we went down the first time, we were arguably on a, on a level par with teams like Tottenham and Chelsea. And no, nobody could say we're anywhere near them at the moment. So that's mm. how far we've got to go. And it's, it's, not, it's not, hopefully it's not going to take 30 years, but it might take five or 10 years to catch up. Okay, thank you. Um, just a couple of comments from people on the polls. So Mr Monkfish has said that Newcastle away has been his highlight of 2023. And Craig has said uh, about the Waka Waka song that Tom was commenting on earlier. It lived rent free in many a head, including Palace fans, for weeks afterwards. Um, and many people didn't realise that we'd actually scored on the day because they're so busy enjoying the chant. So it's fondly remembered. Um, OK, thank you very much to everyone who voted in the poll. Um, going back to one of the things that's obviously on our mind, um, Baz, we've got this ruling coming up, which uh, apparently is going to be a statement made tomorrow on Monday, the 15th of January, if you believe the rumours, talking about whether Forest are likely, along with other clubs, to get punished for not sticking to profit and sustainability regulations. So what are your thoughts on that, Baz? I mean... Forest have spent a lot of money, but the other thing I would argue is that generally in the Maranakis regime, they've also been pretty keen to stay the right side of the line when it comes to regs. Obviously, I don't know the finances involved. I don't know the figures and I don't actually fully quite understand the rules. The other thing I was reading this morning is that apparently the Premier League are changing the rules in August. So if that's the case, then it's going to be quite annoying if we do get punished for something that isn't going to apply next season. But, I mean, I don't know if we've overspent or whatever, and there's all sorts of financial mechanisms that all the different clubs are using to stay within the rules. But, and I, I think this this probably reflects on uh, Tom's view as well, which is, um, what were we supposed to do? do we, are we going to do a Norwich and just give up and, and 
and and like just meekly roll over? Or do we want to try and build this club up to be something that is capable of competing in the Premier League? And it does strike me that the way it's structured is designed to to keep smaller clubs down at the moment. And that really annoys me. But the Maradona Midlands and I would counter-argue, and I shall come to you, Maradona, to, to respond to this, but you counter-argue that um, Forest have had a, maybe a recruitment policy rather than a recruitment strategy since the Maranakis regime has come in. And signing 120 players, including 40-odd players in, in three transfer windows is not a sensible way of uh, handling the family silver. What do you think, Maradona of the Midlands? Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's 100% true. I mean, there's a couple of points which which occur to me. I think it, keeping the smaller clubs down is an unintended consequence of uh, what's happened with the, with the regulations. I think it came in with with, um, with good intentions of, of protecting clubs after, the, after what happened at places like Portsmouth and uh, Leicester and Southampton, where they went into administration. Um, so I think it came in with with all the right intentions, um, but it it does now protect sort of the clubs are already in with there with Champions League money and finishing top end. It's all sort of loaded in in their favour because they get more prize money. Um, the other thing is I did have the thought during the summer when when people were saying we've got to sell Johnson for FFP reasons. Well, break the FFP rules and take the points deduction. You just get. Take take the gamble that you're going to get more points with him staying at the club uh, than you're going to get deducted by breaking the regulations and and going and going for it a bit. So I think maybe that's been maybe occurring in some people's minds as well at the club, where we say, yeah, we'll we'll take the points deduction. It's a matter if we break the rules because we're still even with a ten point deduction, we'll still be in the Premier League. Um, if we sell our best players, there's a good chance we get relegated. So that's the other way of looking at it. But yeah, the overall overarching thing this is on on this is we've just signed too many players. It's not it's not just since we've been in the Premier League, ever ever since we the the Maranakis family took over, we've just signed loads and loads and loads of players, and it's, it's some of them just never made any sense, and it's it just needed calm heads and spending that money more wisely at times, and we probably wouldn't be. On the uh, on the danger list of, of being fined now and fined and with a points deduction. Baz, uh, just a couple of little points. So a friend of a friend's an Everton fan, and he was saying that the reason that Everton got their points deduction is because the amount that they were over the not it's not called FFP really, is it? But whatever yes, the, the threshold is, is exactly the amount that they paid off to cancel someone's contract after they got in trouble so the fact that they had to cancel that contract is what put them over the over, and that's why they're so aggrieved about it but also on Maradona's point uh, all these systems there's always ways to game them and always ways to play them um, it's just worth remembering that the reason that the EFL put in the points deduction for going into administration is because of us and Leicester because we complained about uh, Leicester going into administration and cancelling all their debts all their year, all those years ago while we sold all our best players. So it's that same thing. If um, Do you just take the... Do you play the system and take the risk off it? Going back to uh, what Jeremy said earlier, you know, a butterfly flapping its wings can have a, a large effect um, elsewhere. Tom? Basically, clubs are being um, punished for ambition. I mean, Newcastle have got the same problem. They want to break into that top four and can't do it because of the FFP uh, regulations. And like um, mentioned earlier, what do we do? Lie down and just do a Norwich, just uh, pocket the money and keep going down, coming back up every uh, other season. So um, I I don't know how you're going to regulate it or make it fairer, but I just think that if an owner is allowed to put, has got that, can prove that he's got that financial uh, muscle, let's say that it's his debt rather than the club's debt. But then people says, well, it's all right for you. You've got a wealthy owner, but somebody like at the other end of the spectrum might not have that wealthy owner. So it's that fairness again, isn't it? But um, but yeah, I, I do think that we're being punished to actually try and sustain our Premier League status rather than just pocketing the money and, um, and then obviously getting relegated. So there's no pleasing everybody, but um, it's I don't think the rules are fair at the moment because it's protecting the top six in my eyes. 
And of course, there's an argument that uh, actually that's the way the rules work because Man City are backed by an entire state and therefore have the strongest possible um, team of lawyers in the world that they could manage. Uh, Maradona Midlands, uh, you're, 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 you're nodding your head there. Yeah, I was just going to make the same point. I think that the other the other facet of the of the rules is is protecting the uh, competition in, the, in of the league. Um, I mean, we're already seeing it to a certain extent where Man City are just dominating it. Um, and it's it's in danger of becoming a bit like Germany or France uh, because they they are a nation state, and if we were allowed to spend whatever they wanted, there'd be no way that any other team, whether it be Forest or or anybody else, could catch up with them. The same with Newcastle, Saudi Arabia have literally got all the money in the world, and they could just tie up the league between Man City and 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 Newcastle for the next twenty five years, and that would kill the Premier League and and sort of the uh, the the, the uniqueness of it and the joy of it. Just as a point of information now, of course, Man City are not owned by Saudi backers. But uh, Tom, very, very briefly. Yeah, very quickly. I just think sometimes like the Premier League are doing this to protect the uh, the brand. You know, like in a few years ago when Leicester won the Premier League, it upset the cartel, didn't it? And you've got this brand what's going all the way around the world. And like people in like China, Hong Kong, Japan and the other parts of the world want to see a Man City, a Liverpool, a Man United at the top of the league, but they don't necessarily want to see like an Aston Villa or a or a Forest or Leicester or something like that. So it's, I think it's protecting the brand also. Forest, that... the famous club, two-time European <laughs> Cup winners. We're in the realm of getting into conspiracies and we've got a lot to talk about in very little time. So I'm just going to come back to Maradon the Midlands as well, just to echo something you said a little bit earlier. The other part of the problem is that it's not necessarily Forrest spending the money. It's also that if you spend the money, you've got to spend it well. And we've had a lot of players, as Jeremy referred to in his in his sketch, we've got the likes of uh, Emmanuel Dennis and John Joe Shelby and, and, and various others. You look at the goalkeeping position, um, Samba went and then we got in Henderson on loan, but on big wages. We got in Navas on loan on big wages. We've spent 16 million on two goalkeepers. And you look at that and you think, why didn't they, didn't they just break the bank to keep Samba at the club? All he wanted yeah, I mean, was he wanted a hundred percent pay rise, and they said no, and then they ended up paying way more than that to Henderson anyway. Yeah, I mean that 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 really never made any sense. Walking away from Wembley after after the after the playoff win, there was one position where I thought, well, we need we I thought think I'm sure as lots of other people were driving back or on the way. I was saying, okay, we need about twelve or fifteen players now, and I think. All of the sort, well, at least the goalkeeper situation is sorted. I thought at the time, Samba, brilliant number one. Hovar would be an acceptable number two. And so to start off the summer with hearing that he was going and we're bringing in 18 Henderson was a big shock that year. And it's just sort of epitomised a sort of lack of logical thinking uh, um, in our transfer policy um, for the past two or three years, four years, five years. And uh, Baz, just very, very briefly, I think the club were probably a little bit shocked as well when they realised some of the kind of transfer skullduggery that goes on. Uh, Man United being a good example, both last season when we tried to sign Jimmy Garner and had to move on. Um, I mean, I would certainly still say that Garner's proved he's, he's Premier League worthy at Everton, although it took him a little while. And then um, more recently, we're trying to sign Henderson. Um, the reason Henderson didn't work out is because of his injury record, but other clubs are still going to try and extract the maximum from you and the stakes are much higher these days, aren't they, Baz? And they're, they're much, much better at playing the system than we are because they've had the experience of it. Um, just on Henderson as well, I do think that that was always the plan was, yeah, replace Samba with Henderson and then his injury and then the way Man United dealt with us is is what's, what's scuppered everything for us. So um, on that front, I think it was, yeah, we didn't have a proper plan B rather than not having a plan A. Very, very quickly, you mentioned about Mangala possibly going. The rumour is that he might be going on a loan with a view to a permanent move and we might get 26, 27 million for him. So if he has to go, firstly, has he not been playing because it's to protect his value? And then secondly, is that a good return if you get 100% profit on someone who's kind of 25 years old? Or is it something whereby actually they should be moving heaven and earth to keep him because his value might still go up? Um, I think probably financially it makes perfect sense. But and in terms of positions, central midfield is probably the area where we're best stocked. But 
getting rid of a form player at a time when we've been struggling does strike me as a bit of uh, um, not necessarily the best idea. And certainly there are other players in that position that I would rather see go before before Mangala. Mm. OK, um, I'm just going to round off by just saying that spending the money is one thing. It's just a question of whether you spend it like Forrest have or you spend it like Everton did or do you spend it in the way that maybe Brentford and Brighton have done? But we'll move on and we need to move on because it's time for something new. 1865, guess that red. OK, it's time for a new quiz. Um we're still kind of calling it Guess That Red, but it's got a bit, a bit of a new format. So it's over to Quizmaster Tom. So basically it is starting 11. So I'm just going to pick a random Forest game over the years. And basically uh, one by one, you pick a player. If you're incorrect, you're basically out of the game. So it's basically the last man standing. So the game in question is Saturday the 17th of December, 1994. Man United against Forest at Old Trafford. So, um, whoever wants to start, um, just pick a, a player who played in that game. Then, if you're incorrect, you're basically out of the game. That was Stuart Pearce. Yes. The Maradona of the Midlands. Go on. Mark Crosley. Yes. Rich. Stan Collymore. Yes. Baz, Brian Roy. Yes. Maradona of the Midlands. Go on. Steve Stone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is very good. <laughs> Rich. Just... Go on. Lars Bohinen. He didn't start. He oh, came on as, oh, as a sub. So, Rich, unfortunately, you are out because he didn't start the game. Baz. Go on. Colin Cooper. No. You won bloody shooting. So if you get any of the players, you basically won. I win by default. <laughs> okay, let's go then. Uh, Steve Chettle. Yes. Des so, Little. Yes. Um, Dave Phillips. Yes, very good. So you're missing two players. One's a defender yeah. and one's a midfielder. You basically won anyway, but it's, if you get you can get a full house here. Okay, so I don't remember anybody other than Cooper and Chettle playing that year. Who was our backup centre half? Hmm. Was Maradona's one? Was it Alf Ninja Harland? Yes, it was. He played right. Um, he played centre half with uh, Chettle. And I'm going for midfield. Was it Ian Wone? Yes. Oh, sorry. There's a, I've missed another uh, midfielder. So, um, but have we said Brian Roy. Yes. Scott Gemmell. Yes, Scott Gemmell. So uh, the team. Don't was know how not... Maradona missed that Scott Gemmell. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say, but you cut in. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the team was Mark Crosley in goal, Alfie Holland, uh, Steve Chettle, Stuart Pearce, Des Little. Midfield was Scott Gemmell, Steve Stone, Ian Wone, Dave Phillips. Up front with Stan Collymore and Brian Roy and Lars Bohinen came on in the 84th minute. And we won that game 2-1. Collymore and Pierce. And then Cantonal scored what can be said as, far as, as a um, consolation. Sliding doors goes. I think that was uh, the turning point of our season, that game, because that's when uh, Stan decided he wanted to leave. And I think we were the first team in a year to actually go to uh, Old Trafford and win. So it was a nice early Christmas present that season of 94-95. I was only six and I can't, I, I just remember the um, having it on the game on VHS. I watched it obviously the following morning. I was just getting into Forest then and remember this lovely blue kit, which thankfully I have actually got the shirt um, upstairs. So it was a beautiful kit that was and I still maintain that is the best Forest away shirt we've ever uh, released. Uh, Maradon the Midlands, as the winner of the quiz, you get to choose the outro music for this month's Forest Ramble discussion. So what would you like to pick? Hmm. Well, when you started doing this at the beginning of the season, um, Elanga had had just a, a blind of a game against uh, or appearance against Arsenal. So uh, in tribute to him, I was going to pick a, a Swedish act and somebody who I thought you'd have in your music collection. And because football is my favourite game, I'm going to go for 
favourite game by the Cardigans. Not off. Okay, we can do that for you. And all that leaves is for me, Rich Ferraro, to say thank you very much to the Maradona Midlands, to Tom and to Baz, and of course to Jeremy. And thank you to you, listener, for joining us. We'll be back in a few days with a report after the Blackpool replay and also the Brentford game. And we will also have our latest news stories in the Friday Five podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening. Do look after yourselves and each other. You Reds! Podcast Network.